Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Konnichiwa and welcome to the Ski Podcast. I am Jim Duncan and I'm always joined by Ian Martin. Hello, Ian. Hi there, Jim. You right? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, Ian, did you know who sponsors this podcast? It is the Chill Factory in Manchester. I do know that. That's, that's right. And it is the Northwest's best um, premier destination for ski and snowboarding. Um, we're going to talk about that a bit more in the show. But if you want to go there and you want to save yourself 10% off your next ride you can get that by going to the checkout and booking online and using the code skipod10 you can find the information on that in our website in this episode we are going to be talking about slide through restaurants spring skiing skiing in japan ian has been to the chill factory um, i'm going to be catching up with um, an old friend of the show mark from snow only um, if you want to get involved with the show or have a story or any feedback please do get in touch you can tweet us at the ski podcast find us on facebook email jim at the ski podcast.com or email ian at the ski podcast.com uh, and of course you can find all that information on our website the ski podcast.com um Ian, I've got an exciting sticker spot for you. Oh, yeah. Where is it? Um, so, you know, we've been handing out stickers and you did a very good one in Val Yeah. Um, just the other day, um, before I met Mark from Snow Only, in fact, I was about, I was getting on a drag lift and I looked to my left of me and the lifty was on his phone. Um, and there was like a round blue sticker on the back of his phone. And I was just, the button was coming round. I grabbed it and I was looking and I was staring on the back of this lifty's phone was a ski podcast sticker. How on earth did that happen? <laughs> See, I don't know. Um, I was so gobsmacked I didn't speak to him. My French isn't good enough to ask that question. Um, and also, then I wondered, has he found it through it falling out of my pocket and me littering? So I didn't <laughs> want to bring that up. But And I didn't get a photo of it because I was just so amazed. So what I think I'm going to do is, I can tell you right now, it is the Jumet 2000 drag lift in Le Cluser. So if you know the lifty, if indeed the lifty is listening, get in touch with the show. Or if someone can prove that I'm tr- I'm right, please get in touch. Okay. Maybe maybe it's loosely related to uh, the review of um, the uh, the lifty uh, documentary that we covered last week, uh, last time round in the pod. I can't really think how, but um, good spot anyway. I like it. Uh, do you like fast food, Ian? Mm, no, I mean, it's probably quite nice, but I don't do it very often. What about Tex-Mex? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I can I can deal with that. Um, do you like Horseshoe Resort in Ontario? Never heard of it in my life. 
No, me neither until the other day when someone said um, Taco Bell, uh, a Tex-Mess fast food restaurant, is opening a slide through restaurant in the resorts. Yes. I read this article and thought it was probably an April Fool, but we're not quite there yet, are we? No, uh, it is just temporary, so you can't do it all the time. Um, it's not the first one, though. It's not the first place to have a, a slide-through takeaway. Um, in Lindenvallen in Sweden, there's a ski through you know? I've seen that one, I think, yeah. But my question is this, is it practical? I was with someone the other day who decided to stop. They took off their skis, bought some chips um, with ketchup and everything, um, and then got back on their skis to ski to the cable car, and it was painful to watch. So I, I don't see how a ski through will work particularly great you know you've got poles you've got a lot of stuff it's not easy maybe it's just for snowboarders didn't think of that do do you mean the problem there is actually eating the food Um, i mean the physically taking it away is the problem yeah i mean i would be really unhappy if someone got into a cable car with me with a a packet of chips it smelled just like friday night on the tube yeah that's that's not good lift etiquette um, I think the way this one plans is the idea is they've got a sign at the top of the piece and you order there through a speaker, then you ski to the bottom and then you pick up your food and do you take it with you? Isn't it? Well, either way, as long as they don't take it on the lift, a chairlift, that'd probably be fine. Even then, I'd probably be slightly annoyed if they were eating next to me. Yeah. Um, what else annoys you on a chairlift and people doing next to you? Smoking? <laughs> Uh, it's well loud music. You know, People someone... seem to be obsessed with loud speakers. In this is a, remember that review about old people. This is, this is right now. It's right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was an article in the Times the other day, which was vastly over sensationalised. But they were talking about um, people using uh, Bluetooth speakers and putting their music out loud instead of listening to it through their headphones in ski resorts, uh, and blaming it on the British, which I thought was. Yeah, probably a little unfair. I'd like to see some more uh, data on that. But it's just a classic, you know, case of, uh, you know, stirring something up. It was also talking about, uh, you know, how new technology is making uh, uh, the slopes a more dangerous place. The music and people trying to, you know, get their highest speed on ski tracks and and things like this. But, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be sort of a relatively grumpy old man if it involves complaining about, you know, loud music in public places and fried food. Um, the loud music, I haven't done an official study, but I would say on the whole, the ones I've witnessed, um, that higher proportion um, seem to be French people. But I don't want to start um, an international argument. No, we've, already, we've already got one um, of them, haven't we? That. That's still going on. We'll come back to that in another uh, in another pod. <laughs> um while we're talking about fast food, I noticed there's a Burger King um, down in Annecy, which is nearby me, and you get a lift. You can get a lift pass oh, deal. Yeah. So um, for thirty euros, you get your burger down in the valley and stuff, and then you get a lift pass to use up on the mountains. That's good value. That does sound. I'd like to see a Nan- I'd like to see a Nando's drive-through. Uh, yeah, through. well, it'd probably be my choice if you count that as fast food. I'd, I'd go for that, but to my knowledge, there aren't any up in the mountains yet. Nando's is the choice of the liberal <laughs> elite, and that's right. Um, <laughs> okay, so what's the date now? It's the 14th of March we're recording this, and the 20th of March is probably when we release it, the day after my birthday, just so you know. But the 20th of March is more important because it marks the start of spring and spring skiing. I like spring skiing. It makes me happy. 
Right, you uh, Yeah, I mean, spring skiing, you mean just because it's spring, I like skiing at any time. But, um, you know, our family holiday, we tend to go for uh, an, an Easter spring skiing trip, partly because it's cheaper, to be quite frank, but also... Uh, you know, you've got more daylight, it's warmer, it's better for, you know, younger kids. You don't have to stress as much about getting them all wrapped up uh, and everything. I mean, obviously the weather could be terrible, but, you know, generally that uh, works well. There are some great um, deals as well. I've seen up to 50% off in March and April on lots of chalet holidays. So this year is a good year to take that um take that spring holiday if you've never been yeah before. i mean if you hold if you if you can hold Where out you... you can always get yourself a, a good deal uh, as well i also quite like um you know although it, it can freeze overnight and then you get that kind of you know uh, perfect time uh, later on the day when the snow thaws that actually suits us better because we don't like to, we're not definitely not a kind of first lift type of people so you normally get out on the slope sort of about half 10 or something like that and you know for spring skiing that's that's pretty good timing also if you like um snowboarding which i'm partial to it's a really good time to get a board out if you haven't done it for a while or because you know it is um it there's a different texture to the snow, as Ian just said, but it's a different way of carving. I really, it's it's good fun. Um, I think the best places, I'm going to say VT, Teens, probably Zermatt, and maybe Ischgl as well. That goes till May in Ischgl, mm. you can ski. Yeah, well, I mean, you're talking about the, you know, the ones that go really late. I mean, spring skiing, it should be obviously pretty hard to tell, but it should be fine in a, a lot of resorts through to mid-April. So why do... Um, that's slightly later after April. Us, us British people mainly seem to want to avoid the slopes and we don't tend to push later on into the... You know, from a tour operator point of view, there's a, an economy of scale and they buy charter flights. Those charters go on a rotation out and back, out and back, and they tend to finish at the end of the, uh, uh, end of the uh, Easter holidays. So once the, you know they're done and the charter flights aren't there, then they're not offering packages uh, anymore. You know you can obviously still go. You know, Val d'Isere, you get a few tour operators going there until later, but um, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily economically viable for them to you know continue to offer holidays. Oh, so you feel it's less that we're given the choice to go later rather than um, people don't want to do it. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a cultural combined. a cultural type of thing. I mean, you know, it, the one that always I find interesting is the October half term. You know, if you want to, you can go on a skiing holiday in October half term, going to like Solden or something like that. But hardly anyone does that. I think um, one or two tour operators who, who offer a package. But, you know, keen skiers, that is... Maybe I'll go. We've been looking for an October half term. We don't get October half term. Damn it. Um, but next year, last year, Val d'Isere reopened. Didn't yeah, it, well, uh, you know, they, there was so much snow last year that it uh, it was incredible in, in, in lots of places. But Val d'Isere really cashed in on that for sure. Uh, I'm joined by other friend of the show, Dave Froome. Um, he is the owner and man on the other end of the phone of the popular ski destination website, ifyouski.com. And he is here to talk to us about his recent trip to Japan. Dave, why did you go to Japan? I went to Japan because I was invited to go to Japan by the Japanese tourist board um, who, who laid on a trip for um, a small select handful of ski travel agents and uh, UK ski tour operators. And we, we were out there for... 10 days in the middle of February, um, 
quite the experience. I um, we visited three of Japan's major ski resorts. Uh, you had Hakuba, Shigakogen, and uh, Niseko, which is probably the one that most people will have heard of if you've heard of any Japanese ski resorts, which is on the northern island of Sapporo. The other two are on the um, are on the Japanese mainland, um, which is called Honshu. Magic. I want to hear about more about the skiing in a minute, but first of all, I want to know how you got there. We went with Japan Airlines. Um, we flew London to Tokyo directly. Um, Japan Airlines were incredibly kind and upgraded us to their uh, business class Sky Suites on the outbound flight, um, which I must say is the uh, best flight I've ever taken. Fully flat bed in business class, um, an on-demand menu of some quite exceptional food that I would have happily paid good money for in a uh, in a restaurant um, and to be able to order it a la carte in the sky at no extra cost was uh, was quite something you also get um, a, a huge tv and uh, you have direct aisle access in every seat um, and you can close your partitions to make it completely private yeah it was uh, an amazing experience uh, and then if you fly business class with JAL into Tokyo um, on their overnight flight from Heathrow you arrive and you can use free of charge the first cabin at Haneda Airport, which is uh, which is a capsule hotel, um, and you get a free three-hour stay there, which helps you recover after an overnight flight. Um, not that you need it, because because uh, you get to sleep on the flatbed all the way through. Wow. Um, how do you rate their in-flight magazine? Um, probably one of the worst parts of the experience actually was the magazine, <laughs> I have to say, uh, cause I couldn't really read any of it. And the, the bits that were in English were quite dull. Um, but the rest okay, of it was right. fantastic. You actually did, um, you've supplied us with a nice interview to segue into, um, from, uh, the guy from JAL, yes. um, talking about why he likes skiing in Japan. Absolutely. So I'm in, um, in Hakuba now here today with, um, Stephen Perlman from Japan Airlines, who very kindly flew us over. Thanks very much, David. Um, This is Stephen, as I said. Um, Yes, at the moment, Japan Airlines has uh, two flights. It operates between Heathrow Terminal 3 and Haneda Tokyo International. Haneda being the kind of more central Tokyo airport, more convenient Tokyo airport. Um, We connect uh, via Haneda um, up to Sapporo, which is obviously one of the key well, from Sapporo is one of the key areas you can access uh, a lot of the the best powder snow. Um, And also from Tokyo, it's just a Shinkansen. From there, over into the Japanese Alps, uh, Hakuba, Nakano, etc. You went to three resorts, you just told me. What's the best one? Is it Nesco? Uh, Niseko is, well, yeah, the three that I visited, um, I'd certainly uh, certainly rate Niseko as, um, well, it's the one that most people will have heard of. It's in the north, uh, it's on the north island of Japan, um, uh, next to the city of Sapporo, um, uh, sorry, the North Island is called Hokkaido, um, and the city is Sapporo. You fly into Sapporo, and you're about two hour transfer from Niseko, um, which is absolutely renowned for snowing around about thirty centimeters just about every day during the winter season. Um, bizarrely, we were there for three days, and it didn't snow, um, which uh, which everyone said was uh, was quite unbelievable. Um, but we, uh, we we did ski. Do they say that to all the other people that go there as well? Well, no. I, I am I'm reliably informed by absolutely everyone we spoke to that um, that we had the uh, the only three snow free days of the entire year. Um, but we arrived the day after a big snowstorm, and there was huge amounts of uh, fresh powder um, on the uh, on the slopes in this echo. 
Um, so certainly Niseko is the uh, that's the destination that most people will have heard of, um, and it's also the most westernised as well. Um, which... Can I ask about the resort site? So you say that oh, yeah. uh, every day, in theory, thirty centimetres of snow falls. Yeah. Um, how is the resort set up to deal with that? So is it literally you just go anywhere skiing um, off piece through powder every day, or is it still structured with ski runs that are pieced and looked after? It is still structured. You do have pieced areas. Um, they have big off-piste sections as well, um, down through the trees, um, most of which is very, very safe um, and patrolled, and they, they still do um, controlled avalanches to make sure that any um, any dangerous areas are um, are taken care of. There are also, in this echo, there are some very strict um, no-access areas, which you absolutely, under no circumstances, regardless of who you are, can ski in um and they they police that very well as well so on the whole the uh, the safety record in this echo is actually really good and what we're talking about height and size of area interestingly the, the resort's only about 200 meters above sea level um Whoa. yeah um it's quite close to the the coast as well because um hokkaido the northern island the north island of japan is um is is not that huge so it's quite close to the sea uh, it's only 200 metres above the um, sea level. Um, Pistes-wise, it's got about 45 kilometres of pisted runs, um, but the off-piste more than, um, I think the off-piste um, itineraries that they have there mean that you could ski treble that quite easily um, if you uh, if you know where you're going and you know where you're looking. Um, uh, do they recommend guides in that area or is it fairly safe to go off on your own? Um, if you stay within the marked off-piste areas then it's fairly safe to go off on your own although you'd all you'd obviously always as as any ski uh any, any responsible ski um person would say you should always have uh, the appropriate equipment um if you're going to go further afield i would certainly get a guide because um you uh, yeah you 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 would take away a lot of the risk by doing that someone who knows the area um so that so that's the most popular ski resort um you went to two others on the south island is that right on um, on Honshu, which is the which is the Japanese mainland, so you can fly into Tokyo and you can get to places like um, Shigakogen and Hakuba by uh, by train or by um, or by road transfer um, quite easily. So we took a bullet train from Tokyo to Nagano, which was the site of the um, Winter Olympics of I should know this, but I've forgotten. It's, uh, might have been 1998, I think, the Nagano Olympics. Um, and Shigakogan's closely linked to that. Actually, they say that the for a linked ski area, Shigakogan is the largest one in Japan. And it certainly, um, from what we saw of it, it was the closest thing to rival one of the big European um, ski destinations with lots and lots and lots of link, lift-linked um, pistes. So you've got one huge ski area linked uh, together with several different villages. Um, and do these resorts have the same magical 30 centimetres of powder every day um, or are they a bit more hit and miss like a European? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go quite so, quite so much as say hit and miss because Japan's winter is very, very reliable. Um, but the resorts on the, um, on, the, on the main island, they don't have the same um, weather systems as you get up in, um, you get up in Hokkaido. Um, but what they do have that's different, and we, I was told this by, uh, by a number of locals in Shigakogan, um, is the the snow there is considerably drier because it's further from the um, from the west coast of Japan, um, so the uh, the air becomes slightly drier on its way across, and, and um, when it lands, the snow is a lot 
um, a lot softer, a lot drier, which is a different skiing experience than the um, than the really heavy, um, quite moist snow that you get in um, in Niseko. So the skiing sounds fantastic. Um, what about hotels or where do I stay? Can I get a nice chalet with a chalet host? Um, as far as I'm aware, there is no such thing as a catered chalet in Japan. Certainly we didn't um, stay in one. Uh, there are lots of hotels. There's a big range. Um, one thing that I, I guess most people um, expect is that Japan's going to be very, very expensive. Um, but in actual facts, once you're there, the getting there costs quite a bit. But once you're there... Um, costs in resort are are actually really really very reasonable. Um, so uh, so you can stay in a good guest house um, and it won't break the bank. But equally, they have some very very nice um, very very nice four and five star hotels. We were lucky enough to stay in a brand new one in uh, in Niseko called the Sky Niseko, um, which uh, which you absolutely should check out. It's uh, it's truly ski and ski out, which not many places in Japan are. Um, and uh, just completely kitted out for well, as you'd expect from a from any five star ski hotel, a, a real uh, a really luxurious place. Sounds amazing. Now um, you you sold me. I want to go. I'm going to save up. How do I book, Dave? How do you book? Um, well, from next season, from from 1920, um, you will be able to you'll be able to book Japanese destinations through us. Um, don't know if I mentioned uh, my my website, which is ifyouski.com. Um, but uh, yeah, part part of this uh, part of this project is that we are we're launching Japan as a destination. Um, we were out there with um, with a couple of our partner tour operators as well, um, being the Japanese Tourist Board and Flexi Ski, um, both of whom we would use to, um, to to book your packages to Japan. Certainly, um, would recommend given the length of the journey, um, would recommend an absolute minimum. Um, of 10 nights because you'll need time at the beginning to um, to recover from jet lag um, and I would also strongly recommend at least three nights in Tokyo because it is just an absolutely incredible city with so much to offer um, you you would want at least three days to explore there. Dave that was a concise account of your trip I've really enjoyed it I'm desperately jealous and I want to go there thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks for having me on. I think the main thing we can take from that is how much Dave liked flying first class. And I have to reiterate, Ian, that this is Dave Froome from ifyouski.com, not the other Dave. Um, we've got Gosh, too many Daves on this First program, class. My God, I would love to do that. Me too. I mean, it, I, I think he deserves it because he hates flying. Um, he very rarely flies. Uh, he normally catches the train to the Alps. Um, and all that sort of stuff. Was it on your list? Yeah, hopefully I'll do it one day. But uh, still to be still on the bucket, still to be ticked at this stage. Um, I read recently there's going to be new um, uh, Hels uh, Finnair are bringing in new flights from Helsinki. You don't have to change in Tokyo to get to the North Island. You can fly direct to the North Island. Um, it's a quicker changeover. So from the UK, you fly into Helsinki and then fly out, and that should probably take you about ten hours as opposed to the fifteen it's recently taken if you go on a stopover in Tokyo. I considered moving there. You know, I moved to the Cluser. One of the places I looked at was potentially going to Tokyo or something like that in Japan to be near a ski resort because um, Frank could get a job easier out there, but we didn't do it. And there are 500 ski resorts in Japan. Here's another good fact, though, Ian. There are 500,000 Australians make the trip to Japan each year specifically to go skiing. And their favourite place is um, Niesco, uh, which 
they kind of almost seems to have taken over. I feel it's like the morzine of the uh, uh, Japanese um, ski areas. So just actually while we're talking about uh, Japan, uh, I spotted a story, which I think you've seen uh, as well, uh, which I thought had, it's about skateboarding. And I know strictly we're not, um, you know, we're about snow sports. I thought there's enough of a crossover. It's about a 10-year-old called Sky Brown. She has a, a Japanese mother and a British father and lives in Japan. And she has just uh, announced that she is going to uh, represent Team GB at the Olympics uh, and is, I don't know, she's uh, you know, swapping nationality. She's switching her allegiance and she will be Britain's youngest ever competitor at a uh, Summer Olympics, I, I believe. Uh, and I thought it was kind of interesting after we had that interview with um, Charlotte Banks, the uh, snowball cross uh, girl who'd represented France and had switched over to Team GB. It's interesting to see that going on in other disciplines as well, although it's also like a freestyle uh, discipline. So that should be pretty interesting. She's going to be 12 years and 15 days uh, on the opening day of the skateboarding event at the uh, 2020 Tokyo Games. That's going to be an incredible story to watch. Um, I think we know my feelings on people swapping nationalities halfway through. I think it's unfair. But then again, she's quite young, so it probably doesn't matter so much. She's, she hasn't had the investment. Yeah, and also- she's actually very good as well <laughs> by the... Uh, by the looks of it, there's a couple of uh, videos on there. I mean, you know, what do I know about uh, skateboarding? But I can tell that she's, in, you know, she's got medal potential at 12 years old for sure. I wonder if she's any good at Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I was pretty good at that. It was um, one <laughs> of my in-season computer games. I used to regularly come home and find this drunk Scottish guy with the, the Tony Hawk's control in his hand, just to sleep with Tony Hawk's ram in his head against the wall. Um, <laughs> uh, hi, Alan. If you're listening. That's you. Right, should we move on to reviews? Yeah, go on then. Um, who's going to start? I'll start with one from uh, from LinkedIn, which I, I share the podcast on uh, quite a few times. Uh, Matt Walton, he's a uh, specialist recruiter for luxury chalets and villas. Anyway, he says, love the podcast, really informative and a great way to keep up to date with the ski industry whilst in the UK. Uh, the piece with Lindley, which is the interview you did in episode 31, was really interesting too. Cheers and keep it up. Thank cool. you for that, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Matt. I'll follow that on with one from Facebook. Um, it was actually, I'm not sure it's technically a review. It's just a snide comment. But I'm going to read it anyway. Um, it was on the bottom of a post Lindley shared about the, the podcast. Very proud that he was on it in, um, too. Um, but his uh, friend, let's call him uh, Randy Banron, um, just to hide his hide his identity. And he said, Lindley, I enjoyed your section, but mate, those guys sound so dull. Um, he's right though. He's right. What can we do here? Well, I don't know. I listen back to the podcast, and uh, you know, I'm probably biased. But I, you know, I think it's quite interesting some of the stuff we cover. But, but there you go. Um, each to their own. Shaka Asongu, and um, I can level it off with um, quite a lot of activity on Snowheads, uh, the forum, um, which you know I'm, I'm on quite a bit. We share a bit of the podcast on there, and bit of chat. We've got um, Gustavobs on snowheads pretty sure it's not his real name says i always listen to the ski podcast while flying i don't know how often he uh, flies you can listen to it on the ground as well well Um, hang on let's 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 hope he's not a pilot because if um (laughs) randy banrom is to be believed we are incredibly dull and that can be very dangerous (laughs) yeah okay 
Uh, another chat called Grinning is at Avatar said um, it actually mentions a video, uh, one of the videos I've got on uh, YouTube about uh, La Rosière. Uh, Recognised your voice from the podcast, which I enjoy. Cheers. So he enjoys it. Uh, and then finally, Dave of the Marmots, who um, you uh, were responding to his previous comment uh, in episode 31, says um, he's referring to that episode. You missed the bit where Jim slags me off, accuses me of being a mug uh, ski show punter and giver of bad reviews. So there you go, Dave of the Marmots. We've included that now. Uh, um, Dave of the Marmots, I know for a fact, he wrote that from his phone that's now housed in an Esco wallet that he just bought from last week's <laughs> review while wearing a buff with the face of a wolf that he bought from the ski show, probably while he was in the queue of his cancelled powered air flights. I think uh, you're, you're really trolling him badly there, but uh, I actually think Dave of the Marmots is a regular uh, listener and I look forward to hearing what he thinks about this show. Uh, we have one other on iTunes. Did you see that one, um, Jim? Uh, he just uh, says, um, you know, he wants us to talk the whole time. And also he's got a problem with the theme tune, which cuts us off early. So keep that theme tune out of it. Let's keep talking. But four-star review from Adam. Thanks very much. And if you want to review us on uh, on iTunes or tweet us or uh, um, LinkedIn or Facebook, you know, let us know what you think about the uh, the podcast. and. As Jim always says, his catchphrase, share it with your mates. <laughs> no, share it with your cool ski mates. Oh, cool ski mates, not just any old mate. No, 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 because why would they listen? Um, well, they might do. Oh, while we're talking about mug ski show punters, I had a thought um, about it, is that um, I once remember walking around the ski show, and one thing for sale was those um, e-tags um, for cars um, to go through toll roads and oh, i just yeah. thought what a waste of time why would i buy that from you i'll just pay the toll roads um five years later or 10 years later i went ah oh, really wish i bought one of those and went onto their website and bought one so you know if you're thinking about booking a, if you want a long-term investment get a standard at the ski show but those e-tags are brilliant i like there's, yeah there's, i know there's nothing know there's nothing now. more satisfying than going down that fast lane and not having to stop and just being able to drive straight through there's a you know there's a real uh, pleasure in that when you and, and obviously you know when you get to any kind of uh, payage you want to try and get through as quickly as possible so knowing that you're overtaking other people who are actually stopping and going through the archaic method of paying for their uh, their payage at the time you know it's very satisfying so as everyone knows, we've been sponsored by the Chill Factory for quite a long time now, and we're very pleased with um, their support. Thank you very much, Chill Factory. Um, but there was one thing missing in our coverage. We spoke to a lot of people, but we didn't really know what Ian genuinely thought of the Chill Factory. Ian went the other week, and he... How was it, Ian? Yeah, I mean, it was really good. It was a, it was a classic Manchester day in that it was uh, chucking it down with rain uh, outside. But um, yeah, we we I actually went with my son, who's uh, twelve, and it was a Sunday morning. Very good time to uh, go because it was pretty quiet. And I don't know what it was like when you were there, but we were just lapping, you know, straight up, straight down, straight up, straight down, about four minutes uh, a time. So that is, we were getting in fifteen, you know, runs an hour at that point. It got a little bit busier uh, later on, and the the queues built up, so it got a bit slower. But snow was really good. Um, you know, depth of snow. I don't know if that's ever a factor, but you know, the quality of snow was uh, was excellent. Um, the thing I was really impressed with, though, and I'm interested to know whether you think 
this was a case for you as well. But I thought the service, you know, from the front desk to where you picked up your uh, equipment to we had to ask some one of the guys for advice about a lift bar. I thought they were all excellent. You know, they were really on it as far as like a service culture uh, is concerned. And I wondered whether that was just like friendly northerners or or the chill factory specifically. What do you think? No, I think compared to other other um, indoor ski centres, the flow is so much nicer. You arrive, you go through, and I can even, I can imagine even if it was a busy period, it wasn't busy when I turned up, that the flow would be suitable enough that you get in, you get your pass, you move to an area, and you move out again. Um, everyone is super friendly, very knowledgeable. Um, so yeah, I agree, and totally, it's a it's a really good experience. Um, especially if you compare it to other potential uh, domes in the in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I haven't skied on all of them, but I also really liked that a machine that you, um, you know, stood on and obviously weighs you and checks your height and gives you a little... What's its printout. name? I'm desperately trying to find the photo of that on my phone. So <laughs> right, it gives you a printout, well, which it, makes it very efficient at the equipment collection point. Yeah, you know, it was, it was extremely good. If it was nearer, I would go more often. But um, uh, yeah, certainly, you know, if anyone wants to, so it's ski pod 10 our discount code isn't it yep ski pod 10 ski pod 10 well, go along to the chill code. factory and uh, try it out for yourself but uh yeah i had a good time there and there's a nando's there was we didn't have enough time to go to the nando's and also it was a morning and i'm not sure nando's for breakfast really works but yeah i did notice that uh opposite <laughs> So we are in the cruiser. I've had a nice visit from the guys from Snow Only. They were on the podcast a while ago um, when they started out, and they've come a long way in the year since they have. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jim. Nice to be here. Um, so what has happened? What's been the development from when we first spoke to you? So I guess we're a year old. That's probably the biggest development. We've had um, spoke to a lot of agents, uh, had a lot of buyers come through the site, um, a lot of property alerts come through the site. We're starting to, I guess build up a some really vital information about what people are looking for uh, what type of buyers are coming through what nationalities i'm interested to know so when you started you didn't know what was going to come through your door in terms of buyers who's buying property uh it's really varied i think the thing that obviously we've learned on this trip is that even though we've only been to uh, chamonix leger le Cousas, all kind of the uh, areas around that are very close to each other there's a real difference in um, who's buying in in the different resorts and yet they're only half an hour drive from, from each other obviously Morzine is still absolutely dominated by the Brits and all the agents have kind of agreed with that um, whereas Chamonix definitely less so now isn't it um, depending on what agents you speak to and um, what was the other agent we spoke to recently that said it was only French buyers uh, just in around, Majeve. Yeah, yeah, in Majeve, only French buyers, uh, no English buyers. Um, so I guess we're just getting a lot of different information from different resorts, which is, I guess, which is vitally important for us because then we can start to direct traffic where it needs to be. Yeah, that's our job. And um, what do people do in these properties that people want to buy? Are they do they want to live in them? Do they want to rent them out? Uh, again, really varied. Uh, lifestyle is a word that comes up quite a bit. Um, what is a lifestyle person? <laughs> a lifestyle person is a person me, that probably right? has yeah a city property, a boat, a me. beach property, and a ski property. Oh, 
Um, I, th- I think most of the time, in my experience, it's someone that just kind of wants to cover their costs. They don't really are so fussed about making a huge amount of money, but no one wants to make a loss on a investment. So it's just when they want to use it, they can use it. So That's people it. want a property that they can go and stay in, but the rest of the time they want other people to use it to come and just pay the mortgage. Yeah, just pay the mortgage. Like No one wants to make a loss on anything. They understand they're outgoing, so they just need to cover their costs enough. That's about it, really. Yeah, That would be lifestyle. And then obviously you have people that are just adamant that they want to get 5-6% return. But this comes it's, where people want to cover their costs because obviously there's a service fee in terms of buying that stuff. Yeah, but the market's kind of changing because everyone kind of wants to do that hotel feel but they want to have a residence within it. So obviously if you're going to do, if you're going to build a, although in a, in a wonderful location, if you want something that's maybe that you're going to have to put in a lot of effort for, I mean, you're going to have to have some understanding of it, otherwise it could be a year before it's even ready. I mean, that's quite a commitment. Um, I think there's probably less people doing that and I'm sure the agents are probably pushing that a little bit less as well so I think for us as well for the resale people, for our sites it gives them a little bit of exposure because the agents are probably predominantly trying to give the easier sale which is the um, which is the new builds which is understandable because it's quicker turnover and it's it's high commissions right? And in terms of the sort of property people are looking for, obviously we said new builds, but are they happy with like something a bit further away if they're investing in it, or that people go in and want to be on the slopes and want to be out of that door? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a balance in everything. In Morsey, and they, they're doing some new builds that are literally what, 100 metres from the slopes. Yeah, it's yeah. quite rare in Morsey. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Um, look at Valdez Air, the massive development that's going in there, right in the centre of town. So I think there's still enough for people to want to go in there and do it I mean there's always a little bit of investment like in Chamonix um, Lazouche down the road um, there was a lot of stuff but what was the what was the rule in the, in the next year what was it in the next year they're not allowed to do new builds or something yeah so in Leger I think they've actually got a small window of opportunity for new builds to yeah. be completed so it's quite a yeah yeah, yeah so pressure to get in there. yeah so I think they're, they're they're using that as a bit of a sales tool to get people in there so um, and then obviously you have the option of the uh, 20% uh, VAT rebate so there's a bonus to buying a new building there is a bonus I think um, we're working with a company a different uh, kind of a mortgage company a finance company at the moment that, that we've spoken to this morning so I think there's a few permutations I don't think it's that simple but it's definitely worth investigating and it, and it seems like I'm guessing at a number here, but it seems like about 80% of the people are taking advantage of that, for sure. Yeah. Um, if you wonder what the noise in the background is, it's Mardi Gras, and uh, there's about to be a big party to go on. Yeah, it's generally cold, and we can see the skiers, so we're not in an office. Um, one thing I'm interested in, like when we um, talked originally, I seem to remember we had a chat about what kind of you offer and what's the point of you. Yeah. What have you slowly... Yeah. realise that people want from you that you probably didn't realise to start with yeah, I don't know if I didn't realise I think a lot of this when I travel around I'm, I'm always quite pleased with myself and give myself a little bit of a tap <laughs> on the back because I think it just reaffirms what we you know, I've been a real estate agent for 10 years so a lot of the stuff just reaffirms what I thought in the beginning which is quite nice I think one of the main things is that Within resort, if you take Chamonix, for example, or Morzine, a lot of the bigger agents just dominate, and the lesser agents are just, they don't really get much of a turnover. 
And I think also something that we learned this week in Chamonix, we obviously want to make it impartial so then the buyer comes in and doesn't get a sales pitch to start with. He just basically, he can look at all the properties on site and then decide which one's for him before he goes into an agent and then gets a, a, a pitch. In Chamonix, I reckon 95% of the people, because there was a few that obviously didn't, 95% of the agents said that no one walks into their property. Yeah. How many properties have you got listed now? Well, it kind of varies day to day, but I'd say right to now we've got about 3,300 properties over probably 130 resorts in 13 or 14 countries. And what's the goal? Yeah, what's the goal? The goal is just to keep going. I think, I think what we're learning a lot is the goal is to make sure that all our information is up to date and genuine so people aren't looking at old properties um, I think it's just giving the best service to the buyer and that might actually not mean having 200,000 properties it might mean having 50,000 properties but they're all live and ready to be sold rather than just multiple multiple at the same listing so it's all about the service to the buyer I think for us and obviously the agent but a lot to do with the buyer because they're the ones that are buying the properties well, thank you very much um, for coming to see me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, um, it's lovely here. This is our first time to La Clusa, so it looks stunning. We're very jealous. Yeah. So it was nice of them to pop and see me in La Clusa. That was very kind of them. Um, I think the key there, Ian, if you're thinking of buying a ski property, off-plan is the way to go. Um, huge savings. Um, you're not, are you going to buy a new Gosh, property? Uh, no, I'm not in a position to be buying any new property just now. But if you if you were going to buy one, what would be the must-have thing if you bought a ski property? Must-have? You mean in, in the property itself? Well, location, what's that one thing that, you know, would be the most important thing to you? Well, I was going to say good Wi-Fi, because in you know, Maslow's new hierarchy of needs, you've got to have good Wi-Fi before anything else. But, um, yeah, you know, depends. It doesn't have to be uh, ski in, ski out, uh, you know, for me. I think uh, the... I wouldn't want to be in one of those, you know, big blocks of uh, apartments. I'd much rather be in a kind of smaller, isolated building. You know, maybe may when um, uh, I don't know, British Airways or Swiss Air sponsor the podcast, we can uh, we can invest in a chalet in Verbier or something. That would be nice. I'd like a good summer program. I think that would be important. Ah, as well. summer. Okay. So, do you want to talk about uh, summer? <clears throat> My plans this summer. Um, me and Constance, my six-year-old daughter, have decided that we are going to go heavy into Via Ferrata oh, yeah. and mountain climbing. Right, okay. I, I did Via Ferrata uh, last summer with my family in the Picos de Europa in Spain, and it was bloody terrifying. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed it, but, uh, you know, yeah, that's. Uh, I imagine the routes that you're going to go on with a six-year-old are probably not going to be quite like that, but um, you've really got to have a lot of trust, even though logically you know you're attached to something because it's a very big drop. It can be quite uh, stressful, particularly when you've got a couple of kids with you. Yeah, I'm glad you pitched it to me. Uh, I'm looking forward. I, I like, um, you know, summer, you know, I do a lot of, um, or quite a lot of trail running. I'm going to be going out to um, Switzerland uh, in in July to do a bit of trail running out there. And then I'm doing a race in uh, Morzine uh, in, in August. Uh, so that should be 
you know that should be pretty interesting and i love being you know, being out there and just running around those trails and hopefully in, in good weather as well i have um i have been looking at different random runs and stuff like that i don't do a lot of running or trail running like you do um i have been tempted to start doing something along those lines but then i just don't, i don't want to do everything you do Ian. <laughs> i just can't spend my life copying you yeah, well, there's you know there's so many activities in in the Alps in the summer that I don't think that will be a problem for you. Um, the other thing I'm going to do this summer, uh, well, actually, no, I'm probably going to do it in the spring. Here. I'm going to do some book reading. Ah, okay, book group. We haven't mentioned the ski uh, ski book group for a while. I can't remember when the last one was. I know what book it was, um, but it was probably about three episodes ago now. So, have you chosen one for us? Yeah, I have. Um, it's been on my shelf. Um, I'm not reading this winter. I think I've been busy skiing and stuff like that. Um, so I've chosen, it's called The Alps, and it's a human history from Hannibal to Heidi and beyond by Stephen O'Shea. I think it pretty much does what it says on the front. Okay. But as I was, um, before the start of the show, I was suddenly worried that it might not have anything to do with skiing in it. It might just be, a his- but you can't have a history of the Alps without some ski knowledge can you no and i i also think that um it doesn't necessarily have to be i think i like to think that one of the things that we're able to achieve with the podcast here is to help people get a bit more background as to you know what happens in all of these ski resorts and places beyond uh the lifts you know, uh, and therefore yeah it should be interesting so if anyone wants to read it uh read it with us i'll put a link down in the in the show notes and we'll probably I would guess it'll take us two or three episodes at least, or for me anyway, to get through it. So we'll be reviewing it, um, I guess, in the in the spring, early summer, something like that. Does that sound right? Spring. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'm just looking in the index, Ian. Yeah, um, it mentions, you know, all the big resorts. So I, yeah. it's going to be a useful guide. And I'm going to have a challenge with you, yeah. Ian. Um, the person who can pick out, the most incredible fact from the book. Okay. How many pages is it, just out of interest? How many pages is it? It is going to be um, 297. Okay. And um, what is your Kindle? What's your Kindle reading speed? Yeah, I don't have a Kindle, but uh, 297 doesn't sound too bad. Okay, good. Well, I'm looking forward to that. You know, a bit of, bit of history and context and uh, and another one to add to our, uh, our ski book group uh, list. Um, could I add something on just some late news that's uh, recently come in? It's kind of very sad news, actually. Um, you might know the tour operator Skival. They have been yes. in business uh, a long time, certainly since the 80s, I would guess mid-80s, something like that, uh, maybe even early 80s. Anyway, sadly, they're not in business anymore as of uh, yesterday. They uh, announced they're going to cease trading. Uh, I don't know why. Um, I don't know what will happen. You know, it's so early yet. I don't know what's going to happen to the uh, to the staff uh, who are out in resort at the moment, or the guests who are out in resort at the moment, or the guests who are due to go out this weekend. Um, you know, my thoughts go to all of them, but my thoughts also go to you know the the, the, the people who uh, you know with Skival because it's a family-owned company. Um, and it's still, you know, owned by I think the children of the original founders. So, you know, maybe it'll be attributed to Brexit. Um, I don't know. Unusual time of year to go out of business, but um, but there you go. 
they're no longer around, apparently. That is sad times. Fond memories of Ski Val. I used to sell their holidays. Um, and I also used to store their salmon in my freezer uh, when I worked in Courchevel. <laughs> right. Do you think that staved off uh, them going out of business by a little bit? You... Yeah, I, I must have saved them. Ooh, what's a chest freezer cost? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if I went back to Courchevel now, maybe I could save them. Yeah. Probably. Well, you know, there was that time, you know, in Courchevel where they had... I think maybe three club hotels in 1850. Um, and yeah, they were a powerhouse at one point. Yeah, right? they've all been converted, uh, you know, into you know posh hotels, posh properties now. Apart from obviously one we mentioned, uh, I would say it was two episodes ago when they had the fire in Courchevel. You got Chanel on the ground floor, but um, higher up there was that staff accommodation where they had the fire. But that used to be the Chalet Isba, one of the uh, ski val uh, club hotels in 1850. And there was a time where they were taking hundreds of people a week to 1850. But, you know, these days, and making it affordable, you know, these days, uh, that that um, doesn't really exist in 1850. Maybe it was their position in the market they got squeezed out of. You know, uh, but sadly, they have ceased business. Maybe, Maybe someone, will, in the next someone take it over. Well, I would have thought the mailing list has got to have value. You know, when they're when they're selling off the assets, you know, you've got a mailing list there of, you know, clients that have been built up over many, many years. And, uh, you know, when when, for example, Super Travel, the original Super Travel uh, went out of business in the late 80s, early 90s, early 90s, it must have been a company called Lotus bought their mail list and that and the name. And then they just started trading as Lotus Super Travel. And uh, you know, turn that into a viable business just from just from that. So there's got to be, you know, some value there for someone if they want to, um, you know, start start up a new business. Um, yeah. While we're talking about emails, um, we we feel like we've been sorely let down by our email service provider. So if you've emailed us in the last three months, can you re-email us because we probably didn't get your email? Is that about the sum of it, Ian? That's about the sum of it, yeah. Complicated, technical uh, issue. Probably my fault, but um, yeah, emails weren't weren't working and now they are. So yeah, if we've, if we've ignored your email, it's not because we didn't value your content or your email or your letter. It's just we didn't get it. Yeah, particularly if you wanted to sponsor the podcast, definitely get back in contact. <laughs> or if you wanted some free stickers we've got loads oh yeah free stickers exactly and send in your photos cool um, in the next episode Ian I will be um, bringing a session on how to ski moguls with our old friend of the show the other day from Snow Pro Ski School he's going to the clue zone he's going to give me a tip on how to do it yeah cool I am going to the uh, Pyrenees next week so I will bring us a report from um, Axe Trois Dames uh, and or Les Angler in the uh, French Pyrenees. Ah, brilliant, because we do want more interviews and we do want more resort reviews. Good point, yeah. I, I, I will work out who I can interview. There's bound to be uh, uh, yeah, someone who I can uh, get a bit of an inside, uh, bit of inside information from. There we go. This was the Ski Podcast um, with Ian and Jim. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, do through Twitter or Facebook. Find all the contact details on our website, theskipodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening and catch you next week. Bye.